0: So, uh, second week in Genesis chapter 41, and I thought of an old story, I guess, this week as I was preparing, um, a story that (laughs) uh, came across the dinner table uh, last week, um, about the second place Mariana and I lived, early in our marriage, 2014, we lived uh, in a little mother-in-law suite in Wake Forest, North Carolina, Uh, an old farmer, uh, had cows, and was like a professor of ecology or something. Um, at NC State, and he just had all this property and land and a little house on it that we could live in. And it was one of the coolest places we've ever lived. Uh, big beef cows in our backyard that we could uh, hear moving every morning. And it was, it was great. Uh, and a little baby a calf was born uh, from one of those cows while we were there. Anyways, um, part of the discounted rate when we lived here was watering the cows and cutting the grass. Watering the cows and cutting the grass. And as a young man, 22 or something, uh, I had a good talking to from the landlord about how cows don't do well without water and how the grass don't need to get too high. Uh, So these were things I was responsible for and needed to take care of. Um, One thing I'd really like to improve about myself is being able to remember stuff. Uh, (laughs) I I, I, I have problems remembering things sometimes. Um inevitably I forgot to water the cows and inevitably I also left the water on watering the cows um, a couple of times Uh, but it didn't take too long before I learned my lesson Uh, especially when you leave the water running it takes you know 10 minutes or so to fill up the big trough of water Uh, water hose I mean all I do is go out there and turn the spigot on it's already the hose over there in the in the thing I just have to wait on it and so I guess I forgot one morning and so, of course, it's just this big mud pit uh, over there where the cows water. And uh, the uh, landlord said, what happened to the water? <laughs> Thought we talked about this. And so uh, I was embarrassed, and thankfully he didn't terminate our contract. But one lesson I learned during those days is a lesson of the Lord. And that lesson is that the Lord waters the inhabitants of the earth, both good and bad, Whenever he pleases, Jesus says so in Matthew chapter five, he sends rain both on the just and the unjust. And not only that, but as the Lord is the provider of all water sources, rain and goodness, he never forgets his people. We never go without. And even if he turns off the water for a little while. He will not forsake us. He will not forsake us. This is the great lesson we gleaned from the second half of Genesis chapter 42 this morning. Joseph's been sold as a slave by his brothers. He landed in Egypt, which is where uh, he would be framed by a temptress, Potiphar's wife, and put in jail for something he didn't do, would spend the next decade or so in jail. Uh, to speak of his life as a dry spell would be an understatement. He was severely uh, suffering uh, by injustice, and yet he remained faithful and what we see throughout these chapters is the Lord who is sovereign over all these things and all these events, all these affairs. He uses the wicked schemes of man, uh, his brothers who caused all these things to happen to bring about even a seven-year famine eventually, to bring about uh, redemption and, and an opportunity of life and a future and a hope for the people of Israel. None of this was happenstance. None of this was by accident. Uh, and in this figurative drought, so to speak, The Lord never forgot Joseph. And today is the day when we learn that the Lord did not forget him. I've said several times already that Joseph's story is a giant red arrow pointing us to whom? Good job. Pointing us to Jesus. And we see that almost in every chapter uh, in who he is. Joseph was not Jesus. Joseph was a failure. Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was a sinner. But let me go ahead and show you one way that he points us to Jesus today. What are those three offices that you've heard us talk about that Jesus fulfills for us? Prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. He is the better prophet, admonishing us to repent and believe in the kingdom of God that has come. He is the better priest, interceding for our sins personally by his own blood, reconciling us to God. He is the better king, ruling and reigning as the resurrected son at the right hand of the father. This is the seed that, e- that would come from Eve that all of creation was longing for. It was not Joseph. Joseph failed to do that. But here we see uh, Joseph pointing to all of these three offices in Christ. Because here we see him as a prophet receiving a revelation from God and warning Egypt of the danger that was to come. We see him as a priest-like figure interceding personally for the Egyptians and the surrounding nations, providing a way of escape by storing up this grain that they may not perish. We see a king here in this passage reigning alongside Pharaoh himself, ruling with justice, equity, and righteousness. This is not a slave-to-king story. This is a slave-to-savior story, and it points us to Jesus we walk through the text, I've got three blessings from the Lord as he remembered Joseph. <clears throat> the first one is amazing wisdom. Amazing wisdom. Look at verse 37 again. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, There is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over all my house. All my people shall order themselves as you command. Now, first of all, what was the proposal, right? Uh, Joseph had been reading Dave Ramsey, we learned last week. uh, And he he had an idea of how they could prepare for the seven-year famine. Twenty percent of the grain, a fifth of the grain uh, for the next seven years be stored up so that when the famine comes, they would... Uh, have enough to get through Uh, so he provides this solution to pharaoh pharaoh was pleased with this solution and so was dave ramsey Uh, we learn immediately that pharaoh was so serious about this that he was willing to make joseph king essentially Um, pharaoh learned that a serious famine was headed their way he also learned that there was nothing he could do about it because he wasn't god uh, he also learned that he wasn't God in this moment. But instead of getting angry or anxious or greedy, it's the text says he was pleased. He was pleased because Joseph came providing an answer, a, a wise answer of discernment because the Lord was in it. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart in Exodus. The Lord softens Pharaoh's heart here in Genesis. And here's the most amazing response He says, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh overlooks ethnic bias, the fact that this man was a prisoner and an absolute nobody. He sees something he's never seen before in another human being. This was more than a dreamer, more than an interpreter. This was a man who had the Spirit of God, the one true God of Yahweh, dwelling within him. How did Pharaoh know this? Well, the text says, God has shown all of this. No one is more discerning than Joseph. No one is as wise as Joseph. Therefore, the Spirit of God must be in him because of these things. Let's get a little theological today. Is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Yeah, okay. Good. Well done. Yes. In fact, absolutely. Uh, we kind of act sometimes, though, even though we say yes to that question, that the Holy Spirit just kind of shows up at Pentecost right, and acts. And before that, he's just you know kicking up his feet. We don't know what he's doing. Um, chilling in heaven. But God is Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. All three have always existed in one triune God, perfect harmony with one another, which means the Holy Spirit was very active throughout all time and history, and so was the Son. However, I will say they worked in different ways than they do now. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would be a really cool study that we should do one day. I'd like to go and do that. Um, Because we do see something a little different than what we're used to in New Testament language. The Spirit of God is said to have been in a variety of people in the Old Testament, from prophets, judges, kings, in Exodus when they built the temple. Uh, We have two men named Bezalel and Hur. Anybody remember them? Probably not. They were given the Spirit of God to build the temple uh, in precise measurements, with intelligence, and um, to devise artistic designs, and craft a house for the Lord with gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood, all of these by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Most notably in 1 Samuel, I think, is where we get a lot of this theology from. Saul and David were both filled with the Spirit at various times. Uh, When Samuel anoints Saul in chapter 10, the text says that Saul was given another heart. When Samuel anoints David in chapter 16, the text says that the Spirit rushed upon him and did not leave, which is pretty marvelous. It's the only person this happens to in the Old Testament. But we develop bad theology sometimes because we begin to see the Spirit of God as a feeling in the Old Testament that sort of comes and goes rather than God himself, right? The third person of the Trinity. He's not an it or a feeling. He is a he. Uh, And so we we have to interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, right? That's what we've been talking about in our class. Um, So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is coming and going, Uh, through God's ordinances, through his plans, his decrees, to, to work out his purposes. But in the New Testament, in Christ, for those who are born again through the miracle of conversion, we are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance, as a permanent gift, a resident within us, which means he does not leave. He does not come and go as he pleases. He stays. And here's the cool part about all this. The Holy Spirit does a lot of the same stuff that he did in the New Testament. His work is that of discernment and wisdom, as he gave to Joseph for the believer, being our teacher, our guide to help us interpret Scripture and act in Christian uh, wisdom. His work is that of service and sacrifice, calling us to lay down our lives and edify and serve the church. His work is to constantly point us to Jesus, advocating for us, reminding us of the good news of the gospel, and to help us live holy lives. So all that to say, um, you know one really good way you can tell that God hasn't abandoned you? is because the Holy Spirit hasn't left. And, And by the way, this is why Paul says it's such a big deal when we sin, because our bodies are temples of the Lord, Right? It doesn't mean when you sin, the Holy Spirit leaves, but He's grieved, right? So so we still sin, uh, but the Holy Spirit doesn't leave. This is amazing news for the believer, isn't it? We don't have to wonder if He's left us, whether we feel Him or not, because God's Word says He's there. God means what He says. This is an incredible gift for us. And here's what faithful, Spirit-led living looks like. You want to be led by the Spirit? Practice godly discernment. Practice godly wisdom from the Scriptures. Uh, Service that edifies the body of Christ. Serve one another. Lay down your life in the church. Pursue holiness. Pursue Him above all others. This is how we know we're Christians, and this is how we know God has not abandoned us. 1 John 5, verse 6, This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Whoever believes the Son in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. If you believe in Christ, you've been given the miracle of conversion and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is with you, his testimony is in you, and he never leaves. He will never forsake you, even when suffering comes. The next blessing that he gives to Joseph is that of authority. Amazing wisdom, and now that of authority. Look at verse 40. You shall be over all my house, over all, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. He took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in garments of fine linen and a gold chain around his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Lift <clears throat> my water. And I need it. <clears throat> Anybody here ever rode in a limousine? Yeah? Tell people. I haven't. <laughs> uh, the cool kids at prom got to ride in a limo, uh, little 16 year olds. But uh, I don't think I've ever ridden in a limo. Um, and it's funny now, you see like Hummer limousines and like these weird, like there's elevating levels of limos now, um, <laughs> which is just, just funny. Um, all these attempts at the whole status of a, of a limo and riding in one is to show the importance of the person who's in it. They don't even drive it. You have somebody chauffeur you. You just sit along for the ride in this fancy vehicle. You're so important that somebody drives you around. Some people ride in a limousine almost every day. Some people ride in them at 16 years old on their way to prom. Some people make a living driving people in limousines. Uh, Now imagine that somebody gets out of jail down here at the Spindale Correctional Center and they get picked up in a limo. It'd be an odd sight, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of strange. Now imagine how Joseph feels going from pit to paradise. Right? Going from nobody, you know, swatting away flies in jail to shaving his face and, and giving, being given a ring and a golden chain and this ornate clothing, um, and being given a seat in Pharaoh's second chariot. This is where he was to ride at all times. He didn't drive. He rode in Pharaoh's second chariot, which was a prized seat. Um, All the people of Egypt would bow down before him. They'd bow the knee as he passed by. Other than the throne itself, Joseph had all the power in Egypt at his hand. Nothing was done without Joseph's consent. But he did have to look like a king. So Pharaoh gave him an Egyptian name. That name was Zephanath-Paneah, which probably means something like God lives and speaks, which is a pretty good name, even though it's Egyptian. But then Pharaoh even gives him a wife. Named Asenath. You know, it's funny, we know all the wives of the patriarchs and then we, we, we kind of forget this little story that there's this Egyptian lady, the daughter of a priest that was given to Joseph in marriage. Her daddy was the chief priest of Re, the sun god, uh, so very pagan, <laughs> a family of royalty. This was kind of a political decision. Um, he was given a name of power and was married into a family of power. We have no details about their relationship, but there is a Greek story called Joseph and Asenath, written several centuries later, that elaborates on their relationship in kind of a Romeo and Juliet way. If you want to go and read that after today's sermon, you might be interested. We don't know if any of that's true. It's all just tradition stuff. Um, But story and legend has it that she was converted to Yahwehism and threw out all her idols uh, and turned from worshiping the sun god. It's a very elaborate Story. Um, regardless, we do know that she met a man full of the Spirit of God, and she had to be confronted that her God was not the real God at some point. <clears throat> but, anyways, this kind of authority that Joseph has is a gift that very few people can handle. Joseph is arguably in more danger of leaving Yahweh now. That he has everything that he ever wanted or could ever want at his fingertips and all the power and authority control that, that anybody could have, and uh, rather than being a, a slave, being a sufferer. He's at more danger of leaving Yahweh now than he was before, you could argue. How many stories have we heard of those who have pursued power and have been poisoned by the well of uh, <clears throat> um, power? But Joseph is there because of God, and he knows he's there because of God and God alone. So Joseph remains faithful. He remains loyal to the Lord. And I want to tell you this morning that this is the kind of God-centered focus and loyalty that we need among us in the church today. What do we have that has not come from the Lord? And yet how many stories have we heard, right, Of, of deacon boards who will stop at nothing to maintain control and authority In the body of Christ. Meanwhile, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. The thirst for power and control is a dangerous poison. Authority is not bad. Authority is a good thing. God gives authority to Adam. God gives authority over mankind to have dominion over the earth. God gives authority to Jesus. God gives authority to pastors. God gives authority to kings and presidents and government officers. God gives authority to parents over children. God gives authority to employers and workplaces. And that authority is good. Authority is God's design. It's a gift to human life. Saul could have been a great king had he not drunk from the well of power and become corrupt. How would you have handled this situation if you were in Joseph's Shoes. What if someone pulled up to your house in a limo? Would you feel that you've made it? And you, this should have happened a long time ago? (laughs) Or would you be feeling like, who am I? Who am I? Would you have become Egyptianized? Or would you have Christianized the Egyptians? Would you have remained faithful and sought to convert them? Would you have been faithful to Christ and, and the authority that he's given to you? Or would you be left wanting more? Um, Even though Joseph was given a new Egyptian name, I want to remind you what Joseph's original name was. Joseph, Rachel named him, may he add, may he add more, more children is the, the context that she meant it in. But here we see Joseph's first name coming to fruition as the Lord is adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. Amazing wisdom, authority, and finally Abundant blessing. Abundant blessing. The text ends this, this last several uh, paragraphs with Joseph receiving inestimable blessing from the Lord. After a decade of suffering, loneliness, poverty, Joseph is now the wealthiest man in all the land. And three blessings are, are specified. First, he was able to store up more grain than could ever be measured. You could not measure, like this was a, a common expression in the Bible Uh, to, to speak of an overabundance of blessing god regularly does this for his people more blessing than anybody could number or measure and this is what he does here in egypt to show that it's from his hand he could have said just enough for seven years right but more than could even be measured god is doing this god is doing this the second blessing was that he was given two children the Lord did indeed add to his family, taking his first name, uh, Joseph, more literally than his new Egyptian name. He was given two children by Asenath, and their names are Manasseh and Ephraim. We'll talk about those in a second. And then third, all of the earth, not just Egypt now, all of the earth and the surrounding nations end up coming to Egypt for food, for blessing. Um, so his sphere of influence and uh, power um, An authority is not just in Egypt now, but it's, it's growing. It's multiplying. It's becoming bigger. And this is a regular theme that we see throughout the Scriptures. Suffering is never the end. God will never forsake His people. He will remember you. He will remember us. The Lord is a deliverer. He does it again and again and again and again. He delivers his people either from themselves or from the surrounding nations. Think of Job. Chapter 1, Job has everything. Chapters 2 through 41, suffering. Chapter 42, the Lord restores to Job double from where he began. The Lord delivered Joseph so marvelously that he named his children, Manasseh and Ephraim, Hebrew names, not Egyptian names, Hebrew names, to point to the faithfulness of God. Manasseh, I can't even remember what my brothers did to me. I can't even remember my suffering in light of the abundant blessing that the Lord is pouring out in my life. Ephraim, God has used my affliction to bear fruit. It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your decrees, says the psalmist. Joseph points to the good and faithful hand of God in all of these blessings. I have a friend who is suffering right now. Um, Something serious, scary, uh, and sensitive in nature. And I said to him, it's going to be okay. His response to me was, and even if it's not, it's still going to be okay. Now, <clears throat> some of you may not like that phrase, it's going to be okay, and I get it. We don't know how any given situation will turn out. God's in control, we're not. He, he's, he says when the suffering's over, he says if it never ends. But we're Christians, right? Are we Christians? Philippians 1 Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, Paul says. As is my eager expectation and my hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The same prisoner, Paul, would, would testify, I've known how to face abundance. and I've known how to face plenty and hunger and need. And I can do all through Christ who strengthens me. He will deliver me again and again and again and again and again. Bring it on. The Lord is a deliverer. That's the, that's the posture of the apostles in the New Testament. And that ought to be our posture. Psalm 50, verse 15, the Lord says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. This is what he does. He says, I am a deliverer. I deliver people. I deliver you. And this is not a prosperity thing. This is not a a gospel that says health and wealth and all that junk. This is just God being God. He's faithful. He takes care of us. He knows our needs and he meets those needs. He's a father and he calls us children. That's who he is, right? And that's good. We should be glad about that. That he's our father and we're his children. Now, if you've been with us very long, I'm coming to the end here. Uh, You've heard us talk about the four parts of the meta-narrative of the Bible, right? What are they? Starts with creation. I'll give you a tip, right? Creation, fall, rescue or redemption, uh, and then restoration, right? This is God's plan for all of history and life as we know it, summed up in those four words. God created all things good. It gave him glory, including mankind. Fall. Man fell from God by sinning against him, and we are now separated from him with no way of return. Rescue. God sent his only Son into the world, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He bore the wrath of God that we might be resurrected from the curse of sin. It is finished. It's done. He saved us. Restoration. Restoration. This is how the story is going to end. Jesus comes, makes all things new, wipes away every tear, restores us to our right relationship with God in which we live together with him in the new heavens and the new earth forever without sin in his glory, shining as bright as the sun. That's the end. The end is deliverance. The end is blessing. More blessing than could ever be measured. That's the end of our story, right? So it really will be okay. It really will be okay. Joseph was not forsaken by God. There is only one believer who was ever forsaken by God, and he was the one person who never sinned. There's only one person who ever bore the wrath of God and didn't deserve it. And that's Jesus. What did he cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ was forsaken at the cross. The Father turned His face away so that you and I might be delivered by the Father and be rescued by the good and gracious God who is the God of abundant blessing that cannot be measured. He's our prophet, our priest, our king. He is our suffering Savior who went to the cross that we might live forever. No matter what comes our way, we say through Christ, it is well with our souls. I don't know what you're suffering. I know what a few of you are suffering. But I know that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because Christ reigns as Lord forever, and he does not forsake his own. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Joseph's life. Thank you for this message of abundant blessing. I pray that we would uh, be transformed by it and doubt you no longer and live by the Spirit and put off the deeds of the flesh and cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Storehouses of blessing in eternal realms. Our Father's house are many mansions, many rooms, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We thank you that you are a God of abundance, and you give more than we could ever deserve. So we wait on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.